You're listening to Nest Talk, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. Now, here's your host, Christopher Linfont. Ladies and gentlemen of the Ravens flock, my name is Christopher Linfont, bringing you another edition of the Nest Talk podcast, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. But you already know that. That's why you're here listening to this episode. Episode 51, we have surpassed the 50 barrier. Of course, we did that last week with our episode uh, 50, halfway to 100. In that episode, we talked a little bit about what the Ravens were going on uh, through during the bye week. Of course, now the bye week is over, so we've got some news and some non-news, though, we will talk about uh, if you followed what the Ravens did or did not do this week. You probably understand what I'm talking about now, but... Uh, before we get into that, we do have some housekeeping items to take care of. As usual, uh, make sure you follow the Baltimore Feather at BMR Feather on Twitter. You can find us at Nest Talk on Twitter as well, and find me at Chris Linfont on Twitter. If you want to find us on Facebook, just search up Baltimore Feather or Nest Talk on Facebook and like us there to stay up to date with the latest Ravens uh, podcasts coming out. This Nest Talk podcast, uh, every time there's a new episode, we will post a link to it uh, on um on those sites so that's important to do that and of course if you're listening on YouTube make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel uh, and hit the like button on this this video uh, helps out the podcast and you know if you hit the notification bell uh, on our YouTube channel every time there's a new video a new podcast you will be notified pretty quickly uh, and you'll be able to listen very very quickly once it comes out and of course if you're listening on iTunes subscribe give us a rating I like to have feedback as well um, so give us your honest rating of the podcast on iTunes. It helps other people find it, but of course, it helps me determine what needs to be done better. Um, and finally, make sure you subscribe to the Baltimore Feather news list, uh, email list at baltimorefeather.com. If you do that, every time there is a Ravens article that's posted, a new podcast that comes out, it'll go right to your email inbox, which is super helpful if you're like me and you have a lot of th- things to worry about uh, and you're not always trying to... Um, you know, check up on Twitter or YouTube or whatever. If you just ha- open your email inbox, it'll say from the Baltimore Feather, there's a new podcast or there's a new uh, important news article for you to check out. So that's always a great thing to do to, to keep up to date with the Ravens. And of course, the Nest Talk podcast, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast. Um, so without further ado, let's get straight into this podcast here. We do have some news to talk about, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about the Ravens upcoming um game against the New England Patriots. Usually we talk about uh, the previous game as well, but since it was a bye week, there was no game, but we have some bye week information to share with you. But first, let's just start off with the with the news. Uh, and the biggest news story of the week is Willie Sneed signing his one-year extension with the Baltimore Ravens, uh, $6 million. It'll keep him with the Ravens through the 2020 season. And you might be asking yourself, why are they doing this right now, or why did they do it at that point? And there's, there's a few reasons for it. Um, one is going to be super obvious when we talk about the other the other news story um, that I want to get to right after this, uh, and, and the injuries, of course, but we'll, we'll get to it all. Essentially, Willie Sneed, I think one of the bigger issues with Willie Sneed, of course, um, in re-signing Willie Sneed, it's important for Lamar Jackson to have receivers he is comfortable with receivers that he's had in the past he's had success with if you look at what the Ravens were going into in 2020 there were only three receivers that were going to be on this roster Marquise Brown Jaleel Scott and Miles Boykin 
not exactly the core you want to build around. Of course, Marquise Brown is very good, but the injuries have been piling up early in his career. It's only his first year. And Miles Boykin, it's still, we don't know what he's going to produce long-term for us, although he's, he's shined this year. And Jaleel Scott, I don't even think, has played a single down yet this entire season. So it was definitely not the ideal situation. The Ravens wanted to secure at least one other wide receiver to help with Lamar Jackson. And of course, you know, you have Mark Andrews in there at tight end. will be back next year as well. But you want some actual receivers. You don't want Marquise Brown to be the real uh, only receiver uh, Lamar Jackson can trust out there. And that's why they brought back Willie Sneed. I think that's the issue they chose him. Uh, I'm sorry, the reason they chose him. Now, that $6 million price tag might seem high to some, but the Ravens have a lot of salary cap open next year. There'll be no more Joe Flacco on the books at all. They're still paying him some money this year. I think that'll open up $15 or $16 million, whatever it is. It's a lot of money. Um, so the Ravens have a lot of money to spend next year, and of course next year is going to be crucial in Lamar Jackson's third year. You're still on a rookie deal. You don't have to pay him an exorbitant amount of money, um, so you can still stack up this roster. And signing Willie Sneed back um, will help the offense in the long run, in the short run, every you know, having that safety blanket with Lamar Jackson, it'll be his third year with him, and he was Lamar's number one receiver last year. Now it's Mark Andrews with Marquise Brown as the number one wide receiver. But Willie Sneed is an excellent slot guy. He's the kind of guy that's going to be gritty, perfect um, guy for Lamar Jackson to throw to on the run. He's exactly what Lamar needs in this offense, and that's why the Ravens went out and signed him. Um, but that's not the only reason. That's why they signed him. They wanted to make an, an extension to open up salary cap. And this is what I was talking about when I said it'll make more sense as we get into it. Um, the Ravens only had about $2 million of salary cap right before the trade deadline. And that's a no-no because the Baltimore Ravens were definitely trying to make a trade. You know, it might not look like it since there was no trade made. And we're going to talk about the trades they actually did try to make. Um they fielded several calls, or at least you know, sent out calls to other teams trying and trying to make a trade. Not able to do it, though. Uh, but Willie Sneed, moving much of his money, they took out a lot of his incentive-based um, salary pieces, whatever. I'm not exactly sure what the technical term would be, but he had incentives. So if he caught X amount of passes or scored X amount of touchdowns, he would get a bonus. Now that would count against the salary cap. So what they did was they said, okay, Willie, we're going to change this. We're going to say you're not getting any incentives this year, but we're going to guarantee it all next year. So instead of taking, risking having having X amount of money now, you'll you'll have that X amount of money next just next year. Instead, you might make less this year if you don't take the deal, right? If he doesn't meet those expectations, those, those incentives, which to be honest with you, Willie Sneed wasn't having the best of seasons. Um, I think he's only at 290 yards in total. It's not exactly the most ideal situation for Willie Sneed in 2019, but this move of his incentives from 2019 into basically a guaranteed contract in 2020, it was very difficult for him to turn down. And of course, he would take it because it'll extend him here to 2020, and then he could work for a new contract after that, whether it's here or somewhere else. So this is a win-win for both with teams here, as it opened up the Ravens salary cap, and it gave Willie Sneed essentially more money or more basically guaranteeing his money next year, even though he's not going to get it this year. But he does stay in Baltimore for an extra year, so everybody's happy. Um, and the Ravens had more money to to uh, potentially make a free, I'm sorry, not a free agent acquisition, a trade acquisition. Um, when you trade for a player, you inherit whatever is left on that contract. So if the Ravens were to trade for Tom Brady, let's say, 
Um, they would inherit whatever New England didn't pay him on that contract, whatever the terms are of that contract, unless New England is specifically guaranteeing him money. They have to pay the rest of the non-guaranteed money. So when they trade Joe Flacco, right, they're paying Joe Flacco whatever Baltimore guaranteed him, but Denver is picking up the rest of the tab. That's how that works. So they, I mean, they could definitely get somebody who isn't going to have a lot of guaranteed cash, you know, for them. I'm sorry, they could have got someone who had a lot of guaranteed cash tied up on one team and traded, but that's usually not how it's going to work when you trade. Um a team is if a team is trading somebody, they're either trying to acquire a big, uh, uh, more draft capital, get rid of salary cap, um, something along those lines, upgrade a player. But they always are wary of that salary cap, so you're not going to usually trade for a player that's that's really high on someone else's book. So when the Ravens were looking to make a trade with that two million, I don't know exactly what it was extended to. I would imagine somewhere between three and four million salary cap with that Willie Snead extension. They were looking for someone who was pretty much on a rookie deal. That's the only real um, player you're going to be able to trade for with that kind of salary cap limitation. And there were a few players that they tried to get. I mean, the Ravens flock should not be um, surprised that the Baltimore Ravens attacked Unique Nagakwe. This is coming from Tony Lombardi of Russell Street Report, by the way. He's our source on this. Uh, he published an article, I think it was the day after the trade deadline, basically explaining that the Ravens did try to make moves, and he was told that the Ravens, Eric DaCosta, called, um, I think it's Caldwell, Dave Caldwell of the Jacksonville Jaguars, don't hold me on the name. He called him and asked about Unique Ngakwe. The Jaguars are 4-4, four and four. they're somewhere around there, 500-ish. They're, in, they're trying to win right now. They think they can make the playoffs, and trading Unique Ngakwe was not something the Jacksonville Jaguars wanted to do, which is understandable. I mean, Nick Ngakwe, he's a pretty good pass rusher, um, but it's not, you know, when you're trying to win in a season and, and make the playoffs, you're not going to trade away your best pass rusher very lightly. And the Ravens, of course, are not going to be giving up huge amounts of uh, draft capital to go get a player who would have been on a one-year rental all like for in all likelihood because his contract would, would expire this upcoming year. It's not like they were going to the Cardinals and saying, hey, can we get Terrell Suggs back? Um, maybe that would have been a nice idea, but you know, he left. Let, let's not mess with that. Uh, but the Ravens also made a, a trade attempt, I think, on some other guys. I, I don't know specifically who they were or what confirmation we can get, but they were making a lot of calls, um, but they couldn't put anything together. There's one name, though, that might surprise you that the Ravens attacked, um, and that's Jamal Adams, the safety Strong safety for the New uh, New York Jets. Um, Joe Douglas, the New York Jets general manager, is a former colleague of Eric DaCosta. They both worked in Baltimore for many, many, many years together. They have a great working relationship. They traded uh, Alex Lewis to the to the Jets earlier this offseason. The deal fell through, though. There was, n- I mean, the Jets. The, there's conflicting reports. Some say the Jets were were trying to trade Adams. And Le'Veon Bell. Others say that the Jets were simply answering calls about um, Jamal Adams and Le'Veon Bell and not ruling anything out, which I think is smart. I mean, obviously, Jamal Adams was not happy about this. I think he went on the podium and, and basically said his GM was, was going behind his back, which is never a good thing uh, to have one of your star players say that about <laughs> your general manager. But that's what was going on in New, uh, New York. Um, the Ravens could not come up with a deal, though. I think they wanted a lot more than Eric DaCosta was willing to pay for for Jamal Adams. It would have been at least a 
first round pick or something like that. Um, and that, that wasn't meant to be. Now, if the Ravens had gotten Jamal Adams, that would have solidified the secondary even further to have two of the best safeties and three of the best cornerbacks in the league. I mean, it could have been the best safe secondary of all time. And maybe this you know, wouldn't matter about the pass rush because no quarterback could throw into it at that point. But that's not what ended up, ended up happening. Um, the third-year safety was going to stick with the Jets. No one else got him. The Jets didn't make any moves. In fact, the entire league basically made no moves. Um, the left tackle, I think his name is Trent something, Trent Williams of the, the Washington Redskins was a hot commodity. The Browns were interested, couldn't get a deal done from him. Um, the only major trade that actually went down, and I wouldn't even call it major, was that the Miami Dolphins acquired Aqib Tlaib and a fifth-round pick. They're essentially just eating his salary cap. So the, I'm sorry, his, yeah, his salary hit. So the Los Angeles Rams can pay Jalen Ramsey an extension. That's not even that major of a trade. I mean, the Miami Dolphins are just looking to be paid off to take somebody. You know, they'll take any draft pick available for them. So the trade deadline was was very, very, very lame this year, I have to say. I was, I was very disappointed. I, I, the Ravens didn't make a trade. I mean, that, that was somewhat um, apparent to me that it was going to happen until, until the Willie Sneed extension happened. Then I was like, you know, they're seriously interested. But, of course, nothing happened, and, and you can't say because Willie Sneed gets that extension and the Ravens are interested in trading that they will, will make a trade because Eric DaCosta has to find the right price and the right player, right scheme fit, right everything. He's not a GM that's just going to go out and be impulsive. That's not how he is. That's not how Ozzie Newsom was. I wrote an article about it the next day, um, or maybe that day. I think it was that day. Essentially just saying, look, he's trying to be patient. He's confident in the team he's got. Let's see what he does. And, you know, if the Ravens want to make a pass rush addition, they're going to have to make it through free agency. I mean, I think Shane Ray might still be available. You know, he was on the, the offseason with us. Um, but, look, Jalen Ferguson has looked pretty good. In that Seattle game, Jalen Ferguson looked great, had some very good plays. Um, I like what he can bring to the table. We still have Matthew Judon. Um, we have other players, too, whose names I'm blanking on. But it's going to be okay. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not exactly the best situation in the world, for the Ravens, they don't have the most ideal um, setup on this this pass rush. But at the end of the day, the Ravens are confident what they've got. They're seeing progression from Ferguson, which is probably the biggest thing, uh, because he can really become a very good pass rusher in this league if he gets some extra um, moves in there, not relying so much on the bull rush. And if they can develop some of these younger guys, they've got. I know they've got Chris Wormley in there. Um, but he's more of a defensive end than a pass rusher, an edge rusher, like an outside linebacker, I should say. Um, you know, as long as these guys can 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 do enough to allow the secondary to bottle up receivers, like we saw in Seattle, frankly, then this defense should be on the right track. It's not going to be elite, but it should be on the right ta- track to uphold games for the Baltimore Ravens, and that's what's crucial. It's just winning games, finding ways to win games, and I think the Ravens can continue to do it with the roster they have in place, without having to have traded for anybody. Although a trade for maybe Yannick Ngakwe or Derek Wolf of the, the Denver Broncos, who was maybe up for sale, um, those guys obviously would have helped the Baltimore Ravens. But but at the end of the day, Eric DaCosta is not going to mortgage the future 
for the present like other teams might do um, throughout the league. Now, moving on into the last piece of news we're going to talk about um, is always injuries. We always, 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 always want to tell you what the injury status is going forward for Sunday's game. Now, the Baltimore Ravens have a huge, and I mean huge, game against the New England Patriots this Sunday. I'm going to be there. It's going to be my first primetime NFL game. I'm pretty excited. Um, I haven't really come to the conclusion of who's going to win yet. I think it's going to be a lot closer then some people might anticipate the Baltimore Ravens should give them a huge run for their money, and I'm, I'm actually kind of leaning towards a Ravens win, but my official predictions will come out uh, on Saturday, so you can check that out. But um, before we continue on with the, 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 the podcast, I have to tell you what the injury situation here is in Baltimore. Um, on Friday, there are only two Ravens who did not participate in practice. The first is the safety Bennett Jackson, who really has a minimal role in this this off. Uh, I'm sorry, the secondary on the defense, uh, a very minimal role to to be, to be real. Um, he he's not the huge loss um, for the Baltimore Ravens if he doesn't play. He probably won't even be active. But of course, the big name that did not participate is Marquise Brown with an ankle injury, and now that might scare some of you out there. And it would scare it scared me at first because I said, "Wait a minute, Marquise Brown practiced yesterday. He practiced on Wednesday. What's going on? He was limited." It looks to me like the Ravens are just resting him. They had done that previously, and then you know, in the in the past, um, I think it was in the beginning of the season against the Dolphins and against the Cardinals. I don't believe he practiced that Friday, so I think the Ravens are just resting him here. And then confirmation essentially. About that, John Harbaugh said he expects Marquise Brown to play on Sunday, regardless of sitting out of practice. That's the expectation. He'll be ready to go, which is huge for the Baltimore Ravens. It's absolutely huge because, you know, having him available for this New England Patriots game really, really ups the chances of Baltimore winning. And I know the Patriots are a fantastic team, but when you have a guy like Marquise Brown that can break a game open, it's it's really a difference maker. It really is. Um, and then, of course... You've got Jimmy Smith coming back. Jimmy Smith is also expected to play. He was limited on Wednesday, Thursday. We don't know his full if he was a full participant or a limited participant in Friday's practice. But he is expected to, to be back, according to John Harbaugh. And that's also huge because now you don't just have Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, and Brandon Carr. And remember, even before Marcus Peters came in, for that one game so far he's been in, it was just Brandon Carr and, and Marlon Humphrey holding down the secondary at the cornerback position. Now you've got Marcus Peters and Jimmy Smith in here. That changes everything. Everything is now changed in the secondary. It's going to be a much revitalized secondary. And Jimmy Smith, I mean, say what you will about Jimmy. He's had a lot of injuries, a lot of inconsistencies in his career. But when he's on, he is on. And he can be one of the league's best cornerbacks. And we already know Marlon Humphrey is the league's best cornerback. That's number one. We know Marcus Peters was supposed to be washed up, according to these Rams fans on Twitter, right? Everybody saw, oh, he's washed up. Have fun with him, Baltimore. Oh, yeah, we had fun with him because you may have not seen it, but he picked off Russell Wilson and took it to the house in his first game as a Raven. So I'm not super concerned about Marcus Peters. I'm more happy about him than anything. So we've got Marcus Peters, we've got Jimmy Smith, we've got Marlon Humphrey, and we've got Brandon Carr, who is still a very, very serviceable cornerback. A lot of people say he's trash. Look, if you're saying he's trash, you honestly don't know what you're talking about, so stop 
you know, trying to to bash Brandon Carr because that's not going to be tolerated around here. This dude is, is a legend. He's never missed a game in his career, um, and he, he's a very good cornerback. I don't care what you say about him. The way he plays is very good. He's not as good as some other cornerbacks, but he's a, an above-average corner. And to have him as your fourth cornerback, above-average as your fourth, with three, well, two elite cornerbacks in Marcus Peters and, and Marlon Humphrey. I won't call Jimmy Smith elite because he's coming off of this injury. We don't know exactly how he's going to play, but healthy Jimmy Smith is an elite cornerback. So this revitalized secondary is huge. And, of course, you got Eric, uh, not Eric Weddle, Earl Thomas in the backfield at center fielder who, you know, he's getting better and better as a Raven. It's, it's not what we wanted at first, but in a revitalized secondary, our own Legion of Boom, Maybe he can find a better position. And then Chuck Clark at, at strong safety has, has been impressive. I'm impressed with Chuck Clark, his play. And I think we all should be. So I'm very, very optimistic about what the Ravens secondary is going to do with Tom Brady, who is slowing down. There's no denying it. He's not the same Tom Brady we've seen in previous years. This secondary has a major opportunity on Sunday to lock down Tom Brady and without Josh Gordon, of course, he's going to have to rely on Julian Edelman, who we'll talk about in a little bit, because he is injured. We don't know exactly what the Patriots are going to throw at us. But a strong secondary is going to help. That is definitely key. Um, before we move on to the Patriots matchup, I do want to address some questions. I ask you guys every week now that I, if you have questions, send them in. I love to answer questions uh, and, and keep dialogue going with all of, of the fans. So if you want to send in a question, you can you can uh, send us a tweet at Nestalk, a DM, whatever, or just go on YouTube. That's probably the best place to do it and say, I, you know, I have some questions or we'll pin a tweet and say any questions for next week and reply. Just, just uh, give us some questions uh, and I'll address what I think about the situation, whether it's a situation with the Ravens, a potential draft player, even a non-Ravens team. If you want to ask me a question about the Miami Dolphins, um, with the San Francisco 49ers, go ahead. I'll answer it uh, as long as we can fit all the questions in one episode. But today we have two questions, both coming from a, our YouTube subscriber, Johnny Williams. Johnny Williams has, has two very good questions. So the first is, do you think the Ravens need to trade for def- defensive linemen to go deep in the playoffs? This was made before the trade deadline, this question. And I said to him, well, since the trade deadline is coming up, if they make a pat- if they make a move, I'll address whether it was a good move. Uh, and then I'll still address the question regardless if I can. Now, do I think the Ravens needed to get a defensive lineman through a trade to go deep in the playoffs? Absolutely not. I don't. I'm very convinced that the Ravens' offense right now, although it does need to score some more points, that's what I want to see out of it. It, it accumulates yards like no tomorrow. But it doesn't score enough points because, you know, look, we're going 434 yards, I think is what our total is, our yards per game, 434.9. We're going 434.9, but we're not scoring more than, like, what, 20-some points a game? Start start putting up 30 points. Let's, let's start looking like some of the better offensive teams in, in the previous years, if we're going to be the number one offense. Um, but back to the question, Johnny. Um, the Ravens absolutely did not need to trade for a defensive lineman to go deep in the playoffs. They have a, they have a superb offense. Their defense is getting better and better by the week. What we saw in Seattle— not only was a rejuvenated defense sprung up by the trade for Marcus Peters, but when you looked at the subtleties on that defensive line, you saw Jalen Ferguson making plays. 
and I, I'm serious. I mean, if you didn't watch, if you didn't pay attention to Jalen Ferguson making plays out there, I mean, it was it was easy to miss. But there was one play specifically. Like, he just comes in and wraps a guy up, and he wasn't anywhere near this guy. He just read it perfectly. There were a few perfect reads by Jalen Ferguson. And that's what we want to see more out of. Um, we have on the interior line Michael Pierce and Brandon Williams. These are guys that are going to be fine for us. Um, but I understand the concern about the pass rush, and that's really where this question is. It's, it's Burnell McPhee's gone, right? It's just Jalen Ferguson, it's Matthew Judon, it's Tyus Bowser, who's not been impressive, save two or three plays here and there. What did the Ravens do? Right? And I was hoping they would make a trade because it would help them go deep in the playoffs, but I don't think they needed a trade. That's the difference. I think it would help them, it would make it easier, but they don't need it. The team's 5-2 and two right now. I mean, I think that the third or fourth seed... The number two seed is the Colts, with, with that's also 5-2. and two. They just have a random, I don't even know what the tiebreaker is, but it's a random tiebreaker over the Ravens. If the Ravens win one and the Colts go down, whoever else is tied at 5-2 and two go down one, the Ravens are a number two seed, which already puts them into the divisional round. If they can continue and get that number two, even if they got the number one seed somehow, you know, usurp the Patriots. It's very possible. I think the key to a deep playoff run by the Baltimore Ravens in, in previous years, it was always defense. But the last time the Ravens won a Super Bowl, they won it on offense. The, the defense did nothing. I mean, they did, they did some important things. But they weren't the reason the Baltimore Ravens beat the Denver Broncos in the division, divisional round. The defense was not the reason the Baltimore Ravens d- defeated the San Francisco 49ers. If Joe Flacco in the offense didn't put up as much points in the first half before the power went out, and, you know, the 49ers came back because the Ravens, after that huge hit of a power outage, waited and waited and waited for it to come back on, right? They lost all the momentum. So the 49ers essentially just took the ball and started running with it over and over and over, and they created a, a, a way to get that point deficiency um, minimalized, and they kept doing that. The defense kept giving up points. But the Ravens won on a, on a defensive play, yes. But ultimately, the offense safeguarded that enough. They didn't score many points in the second half, but the points they put up won the game. It, the defense didn't win that Super Bowl. They didn't win. They definitely didn't win in Denver, where they was a 38-35 final, I think, in double overtime. It's going to be crucial that the Ravens' offense carries this defense, and this defense isn't atrocious by any means. It was atrocious against Cincinnati, Cleveland. But in recent weeks, it's gotten better. And a pass rusher would have been very nice. But I believe in Matthew Judon. I like the way um, Tyus Bowser has had some moments this year. And I like the way Jalen Ferguson is, is, is progressing. And if Jalen Ferguson and Tyus Bowser and whoever else, I, I don't even remember the guy's name, Ofamba? He's a defensive defensive end, Ufamba Kamalu. Um, you know, even if Chris Wormley gets involved in the pass rush, whatever, just have enough pressure so that a quarterback can't sit down for ten seconds because this secondary is already going to be much better with Jimmy coming back with Marcus Peters in here, and I think the Ravens defense can finish at least middle of the road. And as long as Ravens offense stays around number one, number two, and has a lot of success, scores some more points, 
this team is is very much in the mix for a deep playoff run. I'm not going to say a Super Bowl, but I think they're going to make the playoffs, and I think they could go deep, especially if they secure that first-round bye as, as a number two seed, even as a number one seed, if they can make it to that point, which would be phenomenal. Um, I don't. They haven't had a first-round bye since 2011. Um, so take that what you will. They went to the AFC Championship that year and should have won that game, by the way. As we all know, Lee Evans, Billy Cundiff did not – want us to win that game um johnny your other question was what mvp place do you think lamar will be in in week 16 so the second to last week of the year basically winding down the clock on that mvp race um you know we really have to look at what the other nfl mvp candidates are going to be doing so the obvious well we have to include them Pat Mahomes is the incumbent, right? But I don't think he's going to win MVP this year. And part of that isn't his fault. I mean, a huge portion isn't his fault because of that injury. I mean, we all saw it happen on the QB sneak. The ankle injury he had, uh, it was against the Broncos, I think, a couple weeks ago. Brutal. But he's probably not going to win the MVP race, because if he misses a few games, he's going to be behind the other guys, who Russell Wilson is one of them, Deshaun Watson's making people talk, Christian McCaffrey. Um, you know, McCaffrey has been a fantastic running back this year. I think he has over 1,000 yards from scrimmage already, and it's only eight eight weeks in. We're only, what is this, week nine now? He hasn't even played his week eight game. These are all guys who are in the conversation. And right now, I think that Lamar is, is behind Christian McCaffrey. He's behind Russell Wilson. He might even be behind um, uh, Patrick Mahomes, even though Patrick Mahomes has missed a few weeks. Lamar Jackson is a fantastic quarterback right now. But what people aren't going to realize is that his MVP candidacy is not based on his passing. It's based on his passing and rushing, his total yards accumulated. He's going to have to out-accumulate, you know, based on what a quarterback should to the other quarterbacks. If Russell Wilson throws for 4,500 yards and Russell Wilson accumulates totally 4,500 yards, does that make Russell Wilson any less better of an offensive player than as a, or a quarterback? No. Does it make Lamar Jackson any less of a, of a quarterback or an offensive weapon, not really. But in all honesty, I think the MVP race will be skewed towards a passer, as it's historically been. I mean, yes, running backs, and I'm not, call, I'm not calling Lamar Jackson a running back. Running backs have won the MVP race, and I'm only invoking them to show that, you know, I think the last time a running back won was, was Adrian Peterson. He won because he rushed for a lot and a lot of yards, right? He was, hands down, probably the most important player in the NFL that year. But can we say the same thing about Lamar Jackson? I think we can, but since that point, since Adrian Peterson, it's been so skewed towards passing yards. And if Russell Wilson throws for 4,500 yards, and let's say Lamar Jackson throws for 3,500 yards, or just 3,000 yards, and rushes for 1,500 yards, you know, I would vote for him for MVP because he's more dynamic. But I'm not sure everybody else would. I think he'll be a top three MVP candidate. I, that's what I think. At the end of the day, I think he'll be top three. Unless he derails, unless he makes a lot of stupid throws. 
he'll be top three. What's, what's going to have to happen is he has a lot of rushing and a lot of passing touchdowns. And he has to have 3,000 passing yards, at least 3,000 passing yards, and at least 1,200 rushing yards to be up at the end of the season. And I think he'll be top three. Whether or not he's number one will probably, honestly, deter- be determined in the playoffs. If he has a couple good playoff games, if he wins the, if he gets the Ravens to the AFC Championship, he'll be a front runner for sure, absolutely for sure. Because part of being an MVP, right, is putting your team in a position to win big games. It's getting your team to those big games. It's winning the big games. How many times have you heard Tom Brady is the best quarterback in NFL history? I would imagine quite a lot. Now you can argue that. Uh, Joe Montana is the best quarterback of all time. Uh, or that Joe Flacco is the best quarterback. You could argue anything, right? It doesn't matter what you argue. But the fact is that most people are going to consider Tom Brady to be the best quarterback in NFL history. Let me ask you a question. What if Tom Brady never won a Super Bowl but had the same exact regular season stats? Is Tom Brady the best quarterback of all time at that point? I think everybody's mind would be completely changed. We'd all probably consider Peyton Manning or Joe Montana the best quarterback of all time. There would be no... I mean, some people would say Tom Brady would, would be the best quarterback of all time, but it wouldn't be quite as much. And I'm not saying you know winning Super Bowls should be discounted, right? That's not the point. The point is the success of a quarterback success of a player is oftentimes tied to the overall team success and an MVP candidate is really not going to have that much of a chance to to become an MVP if that team isn't at the threshold of of domination of the Super Bowl or of whatever you know Matt Ryan and the and the, the Falcons what was it 2016 had a phenomenal year fantastic year was about to go to the Super Bowl, won the MVP. The next year, I mean, I'm not a huge Matt Ryan fan, but he had almost identical statistics. This is in, what, last year, 2018, 2017, something like that. No, I think it was 2017, not to get off topic, but 2017, almost the exact same statistics, and he wasn't even in the MVP conversation. Why? Because the Falcons were not a very good team in 2017. They're not the same team. They were a good team, but they weren't great. And the success of a team is ultimately going to be combined with that MVP consideration. Now, I think the Ravens are on track to make the playoffs. I think the Ravens are on track to have a home field advantage in at least one game, right? I think that they're going to win the division at this point. It's going to be difficult for the Browns or the Steelers to catch up. But... If, it, if they're not a domination team, if they don't make the AFC Championship, it's going to be difficult for Lamar Jackson. But the question, again, is at Week 16, where is Lamar going to be? Because that's the ultimate question right before the last game of the season. I think he'll be, a, he'll be one of the three frontrunners. That's where I think he'll be, ultimately. But his ultimate MVP consideration will be based on how far the Ravens go. That's just how it's going to work. Whether that's fair or not, you think... That's just how it goes. I mean, Michael Vick, I don't think was ever, correct me if I'm wrong, but Michael Vick was never NFL MVP. You know, the Falcons were never that great under under Vick. It, it's not, 
you know, Vic was a fantastic player. wasn't a very good quarterback, but he was a great player. Um, but his his MVP considerations were ultimately tied to how the Falcons did, and they were never a very, very, very good team under him. Uh, and that's the truth. That's the truth is that he's gonna Lamar will have to lead the Ravens into a very good position, postseason position, to win the MVP um, race. But at the end of the season, essentially, he'll be one of the front runners. Okay, so thank you, Johnny Williams, for the questions. Make sure anybody else has who has questions can send them in. Um, you can send them in through the YouTube comments or DM us on Twitter or just at Nest Talk, wherever you guys want to do that. And make sure you notify me that it's for the, the Nest Talk podcast if you're doing it on Twitter or something. Otherwise, I'll just answer the question like it's a regular question, which you can always do if you have those kind of questions that you want answered right away that you don't want to wait, wait a week, week for. Okay, um, let's move on into the real final segment of today's podcast, and that's the Ravens versus New England Patriots game coming up Sunday night. I'm going to be there. If you're going, the Baltimore Ravens will be having a little celebration for Ed Reed, the recently inducted Hall of Famer, the best free safety of all time, um, the most exciting player I think I've ever seen play, Ed Reed. Um and they're going to be giving out some commemorative coins for every fan that gets in there, so I'm going to be getting one. Make sure you get one as well if you're going, uh, and it'll be awesome. Let me know if you're going in the comments or, or tweet, tweet at me. Maybe we'll see you there. So that'll be very fun. Now, of course, the Ravens and the New England Patriots have a long, long history um, of a rivalry really stemming to the Billick era. Billick never beat them, I don't think, but he had one game that was so close to a win where Kyle Bowler, of all people, balled out and almost won the Ravens the game, but a controversial ending with um, Rex Ryan, who was defensive coordinator at this point for the Baltimore Ravens. That's how long ago this was in 07, one of the worst seasons in Ravens football history. But Rex Ryan called a timeout on the sideline um, on, a, on a fourth down play that happened, but was uh, it would have been incomplete and... Ravens would have taken over essentially won the game, but Rex Ryan's timeout negated that, so they got to do it again. Then there was a flag, I think it was. Um, Then the Patriots got another chance, and then they scored a touchdown to ultimately win the game. Bowler threw a Hail Mary, I think, right after that to try to tie the game. It was caught, but it was stopped at the two-yard line. Uh, So it was a very, 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 very close game. In the Patriots winning a season in history, they went 16-0, but of course... The Giants ruined their, their Super Bowl chances. Um, and the Ravens had one of their worst seasons in history, but an anomaly of a game really kicked off the rivalry. Then, of course, you have the Harbaugh-era rivalry where the Ravens and Patriots had a few back-and-forth games. The 09, um, the 09 playoffs, it was technically 2010 at the time, but in 09, uh, the 09 season, the Ravens went into Foxborough and whooped the Patriots 30-something, I believe, to like 6 or 7 or something like that. Then, of course, you have uh, the 2011 AFC Championship game, which was an utter disaster for the Ravens at the end. I remember watching that game, and it was just, oh, the Lee Evans drop and the, the Billy Cundiff missed kick to the wide left, 33-yard field goal, just ruined our dreams, my dreams. It was just terrible. And then the next year, um, at home, the Ravens beat the Patriots in 2012 with the Justin Tucker field goal that just barely made it in, and, and Belichick was livid about it. I don't remember if you guys remember that. 
Uh, I don't know if you guys remember that, but Belichick and, and, and Vince Wilfork and all the Patriots were livid, but the rest were like, look, it's in. The uprights go on forever. That, that's a good kick. Then, of course, the, the, the championship game in 2012, AFC Championship, the Ravens won it pretty handedly, and then they went on to win the Super Bowl. Um, the next year in 2013, the Ravens got whooped by the Patriots. Um, and I know I've probably missed one, at least one Patriots game by now, but there's so many in here that, that are that are back and forth, these these outcomes. 2016, that Patriots game was pretty pretty wild. The Ravens weren't doing so well, but all of a sudden a couple of special teams plays put them right back in, but they ultimately came up short. Everybody remembers the 2014 playoff game with the, the double pass and the the Belichick swears it's legal play that, that got banned immediately after where they would send in a guy and declare him eligible before the Ravens could, and then before the Ravens could make an adjustment, snap the ball. I mean, that, that just, it's not good. Um, when is the last time we played the Patriots? Was it 2016? Was it really 2016? There must've been one more time. Let me check that right now. But the Ravens and Patriots, um, always have a very, very, very fun rivalry to watch. It's always good. Um, it was 2016. It's been quite a while, right? Um, under the Harbaugh era, I did miss a few games, it looks like. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's been a very, very good rivalry. I think they're 3-5 and five against the Patriots under the Harbaugh era. Their last win was the AFC Championship game in 2013, the 2012 playoffs, 2013 game. Since then, the Ravens lost 41-7. to That was a terrible game. I remember that one. Uh, 2015, the so, so, so close. It was the 2014 playoffs. 2015 was the year because it was in January. So, so, so close. Divisional round game. And then, of course, the 2016 game, 30-23, to uh, when the Ravens were fighting to make the playoffs, ended up losing on Christmas Day. I remember watching that ruined Christmas. You know, thank you, Antonio Brown. You know, but... That's what happens. So the Ravens and Patriots are, are really, really, really one of the premier uh, rivalries, I would say, in the National Football League, more akin to the, the Dallas and uh, um, San Francisco rivalries of, um, I think it was the 60s and the 80s for a little bit. It's that kind of rivalry. It's not a divisional rivalry, but when you have these teams constantly fighting for a period of time in the playoffs, it's... It's bad blood, and we haven't met them in the playoffs for a little bit, but the Ravens are definitely not scared of the Patriots. They might be the number, the one team in the NFL who thinks, you know, oh, it's the Patriots, let's go get them, instead of, oh, it's the Patriots, let's hope we, we can do this. These are guys who want to go into the den and beat these guys, but now the Patriots are coming to the bank, to M&T Bank Stadium, and the Ravens have home field advantage. They have the number two offense in the league, 434.9 yards per game. They have the number one rush offense, 204.1 rushing yards per game. The Patriots, though, have the number one defense in the league, only allowed 234 yards per game and 85.2 rushing yards per game. So this is going to be a huge matchup. These two teams are foils for each other, and it's not exactly clear who's going to come out on top, but I think... Um, the Ravens will have a really, really good shot at winning this game. I really do. And I ultimately might say that they're going to win the game in my predictions tomorrow, but I'm not exactly sure yet. It's still too close to call, in my opinion. Now, 
The Patriots' website does not have an updated injury report, so I have to go off of what Pro Football Talk is telling me. Pro Football Talk, the NBC affiliate uh, run by Florio. Um, according to Pro Football Talk, there are seven players that were limited on Thursday. Um, and those players are Julian Edelman with a chest injury the wide and shoulder injury, the wide receiver, Matt Lacoste, tight end, knee injury, Ryan Izzo, tight end, concu- the concussion, Rex Burkhead, the running back with a foot injury, Gunnar Ozlowski with a uh, the wide receiver with a an ankle injury and hamstring injury, Patrick Chung, the safety has a heel and chest injury, and Shaq Mason, the offensive guard, has an ankle injury. Um, the biggest injury on this list, obviously, is Julian Edelman, but I think Patrick Chung and Shaq Mason are going to hurt as well. Rex Burkhead, of course, is an integral running back, um, kind of like a Danny Woodhead type. You know, the the Patriots always have somebody like that in their mix. He's kind of that guy. Ultimately, though, um, I think there's three key players for the for the New England Patriots. That'll be our um, our last segment of the day here. This New England Patriots three key players, and who are the three key players? The first should be no surprise. It's going to be Tom Brady. Look, Brady. I, I talked about it earlier. Brady has slowed down, and this Ravens defense has. On paper, an extremely good secondary that's being upgraded again with the return of Jimmy Smith. We haven't seen him since Miami. Remember that. We have not seen him since the Miami game. And I know it's Miami Dolphins, and they're terrible. But he did well, and the secondary did well, and everybody did well in Miami. If that secondary with Jimmy Smith, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, Brandon Carr, Earl Thomas, and Chuck Clark can get it together, Tom Brady's going to have a very difficult time passing, especially with a banged-up Julian Edelman, especially with no, um, the guy they just released who used to play for the Browns, whose name all of a sudden blank gun. I said it early in the episode, too. He's not there anymore. Um, and some tight ends are injured. Lacoste and Izzo, not their, you know, great tight ends. I mean, I don't even, does Ben Watson even play for them anymore? I don't even know. He's going to have a difficult time passing because it's not the same Brady. It's not. It's not the Hall of Famer Brady right now. It's, it's, he's slowing down. This is probably going to be his last year in New England. So, um, But if he can figure out how to tear apart the secondary, he will. If he can figure out how to do it, he will. And he's going to be studying very hard this, this, uh, this week. He's been studying very hard to figure out how to crack the secondary, which is still technically a weakness for Baltimore, but I don't really anticipate it being a weakness for much longer. The, the big issue is going to be the pass rush um, for Baltimore. And if the Ravens can't get to Brady and if they give him too much time, you know he's going to pick apart a defense no matter how good it is. So the Ravens, of course, the pass rush, he's going to have to come in there and mess up with Tom Brady a little bit. Um, somebody else we're going to have to look out for is Stephon Gilmore, one of the other two best cornerbacks in the league. Him and Marlon Humphrey are really the premier corners in the league right now. And Stephon Gilmore is probably going to be paired up against Marquise Brown. And how is that battle going to work out? Is Marquise Brown going to come out on top, or is Steph Gilmore going to come out on top? And if I if I was a betting man, look, I want Marquise Brown to succeed. But this is Stephon Gilmore we're talking about. I think, ultimately, Gilmore is going to be the guy that comes out on top in this battle. Um, but the Ravens have other weapons, too. Don't forget about Willie Sneed, Mark Andrews, Hayden Hurst, Nick Boyle might get his first touchdown, who knows. Uh, Miles Boykin in there, even if they activate Jaleel Scott, there are guys that can use um, 
to combat, you know, the matchup here. That's going to, if, if Steph Gilmore has to cover Marquise Brown and shut him down all game, fine, but there's other receivers they can go to. But, of course, that doesn't account for Jason McCourty. The McCourty brothers back there being excellent members of the secondary. There are other corners, you know, if Patrick Chung plays, another safety back there that's going to be integral to this Patriots defense. I mean, this is a very good defense. And this wide receiver battle with them, but especially Marquise Brown and Stephon Gilmore, is going to be a huge matchup, and it's going to be integral to the Ravens' success at home this Sunday night. Now, the final key player on the Patriots we have to watch out for is none other than Sony Michelle. Now, Michelle, second year out of Georgia, I believe, is the running back. What's what's good about Michelle for the Patriots is he is, he not only can run it, but he he can catch it as well. He's a guy that can do a little bit of everything. So if Tom Brady is not feeling a certain look by the Ravens secondary, he can check it down to Sonny Michelle. And if he continues to do that, someone's going to have to come back to get him. And if someone has to come back to get him, someone's not going to be covered very well in the secondary. And you can see how this is going to go. They're going to use Sonny Michelle in these packages to keep um, their options open on offense and to keep the ground game strong. Now the Ravens have a pretty stout um, rush defense. It's one of their strong points on defense. It's, it's worked well. And it worked well last week against the, the Seattle Seahawks. But it's more of a concern what Sonny Michelle does out of the backfield as a receiver than a runner. Because the Ravens can shut him down all they want as a, a runner. But if he gets checked out over and over again, that's going to be five, six-yard ships here. You know, quick pickups of, of yards, putting the Patriots on, from a first down, from first and ten to second and five, second and four easier situations to deal with and especially with Tom Brady a quarterback I mean this is this is no wide-eyed you know kid out there this is 40 some year old Tom Brady who's seen everything the Ravens ever had to offer everything the NFL's had to offer and he knows how to how to combat it so if they give him the option to check it down to Michelle it might be a long night because Michelle's very good in open field he was great open field in Georgia he's great at open field here and the Ravens secondary already struggling a little bit Although I think they're going to be much better with Jimmy Smith returning. Um, might It might be too hectic for them to deal with Michelle if they can't at least combat that a little bit. So that's going to end today's episode. Let me know what you think, whether the Ravens are going to beat the New England Patriots or not. It's going to be a very good game. I'm very, very, very excited for it. I've never actually seen the Patriots play in person, so this is going to be a huge matchup for me. It might be my only chance to ever see Tom Brady play and lose against the Baltimore Ravens. So we'll see how it goes on Sunday night. Of course, I'll be live tweeting from the stadium. You know that already. Um, so you can follow my tweets at, at Be More Feather there. And of course, you can follow me at Chris Lymph on Twitter as well. Follow the Nest Talk podcast at, at Nest Talk. Make sure you like and subscribe if you're listening on YouTube. If you're listening on iTunes, make sure you subscribe to the podcast there and give us a rating. It always helps uh, with feedback and, of course, reach to other new listeners. Uh, if you have any questions for next week, you can... Send them to uh, at Nest Talk on Twitter or leave a YouTube comment or even email them at uh, to info at baltimorefeather.com. And if for whatever reason you are looking to find us on Facebook, just search up the Baltimore Feather or the Nest Talk podcast on Facebook um, and you'll find us there. Uh, this is Chris Linfont signing out for the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet, Nest Talk. We will see you at Nest Talk episode 52 next week as we recap the New England Patriots game and look ahead to the next game which i believe is against the cincinnati Bengals again um so we'll see you next week in episode 52 but for now so long this is christopher linfont of the nest talk podcast and the baltimore feather signing out